morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 131. I was moaning at the Lord about having a full-time job and having to do sermons and, you know, could he get me some days off miraculously? Um, but he sort of said the same as when we were looking for a house. Rather than me giving you a million bucks, why don't you just go and buy the cheapest house in Bulls because you can afford that. And so he did. And some of you have seen it. Uh, before we tidied it up and you realize why it was the cheapest house in Bulls, but we've, we've had that beautiful place to live for a long time now, raised our family there. And uh, so I applied the same principle. No, okay, Lord, I'll just do a really, really short one, short uh, scripture. Uh, how, about, uh, how about John 11? Jesus wept. <laughs> you get lots out of that. And we could all get to the bakery before the Presbyterians again. But, um, but I've settled with Psalm 131, and not because of its size, although it's only three verses, but... Um, Spurgeon says of the psalm, it is a short ladder if we count the words, yet it raises to a great height. And I found that to be the case as I, as I studied Psalm 131 and meditated on it and, and put these few words in it. So we'll, we'll read it to start. I was going to sing it, but <clears throat> I think it would be better to read it. So. Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Pretty speedy. So this addresses one of the great paradoxes of, of the kingdom. Uh, everything to do with God is, is completely opposite to everything to do with man's wisdom. And we know that the place, the way to get to the highest place in the kingdom is to find the lowest place on earth. Uh, I resisted the temptation to, to read, but not to mention, obviously, the Brumbach Falls in that Hannah Hernard book, uh, um, Hind's Feet in High Places. And she talks about uh, just meditating as she was watching this waterfall, that water's always trying to find the lowest place, always, always seeking the lowest place, wherever it goes. And, uh, and that's the way our hearts should be. I can remember being challenged years ago. Did you ever find, you know, we have little life lessons or life verses and things that the Lord's taken us through. And uh, when we're young and foolish, we think, ah, oh, I've learned this now and I'm a better Christian. And I'm learning the same life lesson all the time. And it always seems to be oh, that old chestnut again. And pride is one of those regular features. Um, I forgot where I was going, but you know, never mind. It was a good story though, wasn't it? You can use that if you want. Uh, anyway, my heart is not proud. Oh, yeah, I know what the story was. It was uh, the true test of a servant. Does anybody know the true test of a servant? I know you do, Mr. Mullane. <laughs> true test of a servant? You don't know that? The true test of a servant is when you're treated like a servant. Then we see if you're a servant or not. And, and I hate being treated like a servant. We went to a, a, a marriage retreaty weekend thing. Um, and, uh, and one of the things they said, uh, men the most want respect. That's what we want the most. And ladies want, was it love or something? I, don't, I can't remember. Um, but the... <laughs> 
It was a great weekend, though. <laughs> but men want respect, you know? And I know that I do too. I crave it. I crave it so terribly. I crave respect and admiration, and I want to be heard. And the Lord's given me... Uh, well, we were joking before about my name being Steve. You know, that's an ongoing joke. People forget my name. And that's, I think, why Mike taught that song just recently about God remembers my name. You know, he knows. It's, in fact, it's engraved in the palm of his hand. He'll never forget. And he'll give me a new one that's even better. But um, the point being... Right, that I, I hate being treated like a servant. And we all do, um, if we're honest. We hate being treated like a servant. And yet that's the lowest place, to get down there. And we can act like a servant out of pride, you know. And it's like that ongoing joke. I'm the most humble guy in church. You know, and you can act like a servant and you can stack chairs afterwards, you know. But really, you want somebody to come up and say, oh, mate, thank you so much for stacking those chairs. And you go, don't mention it again, you know. Uh, and so that's the way we are. Our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. And uh, no matter how much we try to be humble, we just cannot. And so the true test of a servant is uh, when you're treated like one. But David, here we are, the king of Israel, said, my heart is not proud. And so we, he knows, uh, like every true saint, that the highest place in the kingdom is the lowest place uh, while we're in this flesh. Philippians 2.5, I think it was last week somebody read it and and before that, and it's worthy of reading again because I think this passage is sublime even, even amongst all of Scripture. Philippians 2.5, describing the Lord and how we're supposed to be. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He found the lowest place. He is now in the highest place. And God gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so there we are, our great uh, master and teacher has shown us that the lowest place is the key to the highest place. And he actually did it. You know, he let us treat him like a servant um, and let us uh, even crucify him. So what do we say? Uh, we can say before God, my heart is not proud. Um, scripture is clear. If we claim we have not sinned, 1 John 10, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. How can we say I am not proud? Proverbs 29 says, who can say I have kept my heart pure and I am clean and without sin? And that's part of the beginning of the gospel, isn't it? course our heart is proud we are desperately wicked uh, and yet in this psalm David says uh, my heart is not proud if he said it to uh, one of his mates if he said it to this guy or that guy um, he would be crazy but he's saying this directly to his master he's saying this directly to God and in private and that's what we can all say to God and I'll explain uh, why because he's not talking about our daily struggle. We're going to struggle with pride as long as we're in the flesh. Until we see him face to face and we're finally free of it, um, we will be struggling with pride and, and so many other <coughs> sins and things that go on in our hearts. Um, so he's not just talking about those daily things of esteeming others better than ourselves. We keep trying to do that, you know, and hopefully we grow in that. Or, or perhaps we'll just keep learning that lesson over and over and never really get good at it until... He finally says, nice try, team, come home. You know. Uh, so he's not talking about that daily struggle, uh, the pride that we have in the flesh. Because we've been born again into another person. Something's been made alive in us when we put our faith in Jesus. 
and there's another person living in there. Uh, that guy, as Susie mentioned, is, his days are numbered. We've already got our passport, and the new guy is already alive <clears throat> and headed to an eternity with God. And so for us, there's a greater reality than, than what we struggle with here in the flesh. And it's described in God's Word. In fact, it's described in that short sentence at the beginning of verse 1. My heart is not proud. It's part of the mystery of the gospel. So first God reveals that there's wrath coming, right? He's angry, and uh, and people say, oh, God was so good, then how come he's letting this all go on? Well, he's not letting it all go on. He's he's waiting for sure, but it's all going to come to an end. And, uh, and you know, you, my protesting friend, will probably be among those who receive the wrath, unless you change your ways. Uh, so first he says that. Uh, then he says that we're all amongst it. From, from in sin, my mother conceived me. You know, out of the womb, I came forth a, a sinner. And I've just been getting more sophisticated at it as I get older. And, and it's manifesting more and more in my flesh. So that's, that's the beginning of the gospel. We deserve death. Uh, Mike got in trouble for saying that last week, but, you know, we're a gospel church, so, so uh, hopefully it is offensive, you know. Praise God. May we, may we have more occasions where that's offensive and somebody is stabbed in the heart um, and, and provoked to, um, to some kind of reaction. So anyway, we deserve death. Um, our very best is an offense to God. You know, Isaiah says... Uh, was it about our righteousness being filthy rags? And that's worthy of a study to find out what that means. It's, it's wretched, not just anyway. Uh, and so accepting that in our flesh dwells no good thing and rejecting our proud attempts at a defense because everybody has that sense that judgment's coming. I'm going to be before the judge, but uh, I'm preparing my defense. You know, I gave up drinking. Well, I, I drink a lot less now, you know, and now I've given up smoking. You know, this is guys at work. They're wonderful guys and I love them. And, and conversations like this bring up some great opportunities for, for sharing the gospel. But, you know, they really do think that uh, um, I don't murder people on Sunday, so I'm not that bad. You know, it's just what is going wrong with you? And because, of course, there's always somebody worse, that makes it even easier because I'm not like that guy. And so it's just pride, preparing your case, because one day you're going to be before the great judge. And, of course, we try and convince people who say these sort of things that it's not going to cut it. You know, the best thing that you've done, even if you never drank, you know, even if you're always kind, the best thing in your heart is deceit and wickedness and filthy rags, and it won't be perfection that the judge demands. And so that's the beginning of the, of the gospel. The, the thing that stops their pride is when you tell them, and, and I remember Matty, the, that evangelist father, saying that he strikes this nearly every time, uh, that it's a free gift, that God has made a way, Jesus, trust in him, you're in. It's easy as that. People struggle with that so hard. Maybe you've forgotten from when, when you accepted Jesus and came. But God says, my way or no way, you know, it's through Jesus or nothing else. And people, and people want to achieve and, and better themselves and make themselves worthy. Oh, I'm, I'm too much of a sinner for Jesus. You know, you're too proud for Jesus. That's your problem. You're not too much of a sinner. And so people want to, uh, oh, no, God says, uh, no one can satisfy the great judge other than Jesus, lest any man should boast. And he's left no room for boasting. You have to completely rid yourself of pride. And as I said, that's a great struggle for many. It's a great difference, maybe the great difference between us and any other religion or form of, of higher worship or pursuit uh, is that God has done it all for us and we're to come on his terms. Everything else is, you know, I can be reincarnated into something better. Uh, I can um, evolve into something better. I can become woke and, you know, and, and I have this whole new perspective now and I'm, I'm nice to, you know, black gay people be, and so I will get to heaven. 
Um, all those little things at self-improvement. We used to sing a song. We don't do it very often, but give me Jesus, no, no one else. I want to die to myself. Don't want methods of self-help. Give me Jesus. That's all he wanted. It's a, it's a neat little message in the song. He came here and sang that, that fellow. Nice guy. Anyway, so we can't satisfy the judge with anything we do. We have to swallow our pride and rid ourselves of our own righteousness. Pride is a, a hideous stain on our soul, and it's... Uh, and it's one that stops us from taking hold of the free gift. It stops those people uh, in Noah's day you know, from getting on the ark. How many years did it take him to build that big boat? And all those years he was a preacher of righteousness. And how many people was saying, I'm not getting on that boat with those kooks. What a bunch of loopies. You know, but in the back of their head they're thinking, if it starts raining though, I'll know where to run. <laughs> you know, waiting for it to start raining. Well, the bad news for those poor people is that you know, God said, get on it took seven days to get on and then he closed the door and then it started flooding you know uh, so we're warning people again and again aren't we wrath is coming there's trouble coming get on the ark now i love this song by uh, don francisco he he makes wonderful songs story songs tells great stories and he's done this one about noah and this verse says so it will be as, as in the days of noah so it will be when the master returns the earth and the heavens will melt and will burn and it's too late to pray when it ends with a roar because those who find grace will have found it before. Those who found grace will have found it before. Get on the ark first, and then there's no person safer. Uh, you might get a little bit of rocking, but there's no person safer than those who are on the ark. Trust in the Lord Jesus now because wrath is coming, and this is what we need to convince people. And yet what stops them? Uh, their pride and that thing in the back of their head that at the last minute they can jump on. I mentioned some friends at work and some interesting conversations. They're a great bunch of people, really refreshing to, to um, get out of 40 years at Ohakia and, and meet some new and, and very different culture. Uh, one of the guys got a real drinking problem, and he's really open to it. And as a Christian, he came to ask me a few questions because AA, great organization it seems to be, uh, but they always direct somebody to a higher power. They don't direct people to Jesus, the, the higher power, but they always seem to direct because they recognize that you can't do it yourself. And other people can't do it because they've got their own issues, you know. So you might have people to love you and encourage you. But they direct people to a higher power. And he wanted to talk about higher powers. And it was a fantastic time um, managing to talk to him. But the world's looking for, they play around with higher powers. But Paul said to Timothy, 3 verse 1, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. They'll do all these things that look godly but denying its power because there's only power in one name and there's only access to that name uh, by completely dying to yourself and living for him. So people do all sorts of things to improve themselves, thinking that they'll have some kind of defense argument when they finally stand before God. Satan, of course, Excels in this black art of pride, uh, and we uh, we have taken the baton pretty well off him. Isaiah 14 describes his fall. Oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn! You have been cut down to the ground, O destroyer of nations. You said in your heart, "I will ascend to the heavens; I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend." Above the tops of the clouds, I will make myself like the Most High. And that goes on in our heart, always wanting to dominate people, always wanting to be in charge, have our way, be heard and respected and admired. 
uh, and that's just our natural propensity. But the Spirit of Christ in us, those who have been born again with that new and eternal life, you know, that far overrides and overwhelms this, this temporary thing that we're living in, says that, uh, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. I read that this morning, somebody, thank you very much. Uh, and so it gives up my will in favor of his. My eyes are not haughty, it says uh, in the next sentence. Um, I had a quick uh, Google scan, and it looks like uh, the experts say 70 to 93% of our communication is nonverbal. So, you know, doing that, I'm not sure what that means, but uh, nonverbal. And so you're looking uh, at the person talking to you, and you're thinking, you know, oh, we've got a. She's not here. Nobody who ever knows her. So I'm going to do it. She, she's real grumpy. And whenever you talk to her, she's like this, and she stares into the distance, you know. And so that doesn't indicate that she's enjoying your company, you know, and, and there's an obvious inference going on there. Uh, there are other people that are very, you know, out there and, and, um, and use a lot of hand signals. But the thing is, tone and, and the chosen words and, and how somebody's standing are all uh, communicate more than the actual words that they choose. There's a couple of people who, to indicate it. It's uh, Luke 18, verse 9, the Pharisee and the, uh, the tax collector. To some who are comf- confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth to all I get. And you can just imagine the body language and, and the way he was maybe glancing uh, at this poor old tax collector in the corner. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. There's some body language for you. It says what state of his heart is in. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Nebuchadnezzar had a great example of looking up and looking down. It says he was, um, he was looking down on a city, uh, Babylon, and he says, man, look at, look at this great job that I've done that I have made. I am the dude, right? I am the man. I don't know if he had company with him. Maybe he was saying it to himself. But he was looking down on the, everybody else and, uh, and feeling like the man. And, of course, that's when God began to fulfill prophecy that Daniel had warned him about. Um, but he obviously uh, didn't listen to the, the staff, and so he needed the rod. And God made him uh, <clears throat> go and live outside and eat grass like the animals until his hair grew long like feathers and his fingernails grew long like claws. Uh, and then, it doesn't say how long, but after whatever period that was, then he looked up to heaven and realized that, uh, God, I have nothing and you are everything. And he wrote that fantastic letter to his whole kingdom, very, very humble and, and honoring God. Uh, and so there's a difference. His eyes were haughty, but God in his wonderful grace unhaughtied his eyes, as he does for us. I was joking with Mike before church, you know, I must have a terrible propensity for pride because I really want to be George Whitfield, you know, and the Lord just won't let me. And every time I try, um, um, because this is quite public, you end up getting quite humiliated. You know, you don't perform like you hoped and so whether you notice or not you know the sense of humiliation and failure is just intense and so I was sulking before the God the God sorry Lord I was sulking before the Lord 
quite terribly <laughs> this week. Uh, verse 1c, the last bit of verse 1 says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Uh, again, I was listening to George Whitfield. I, I have a commute to Palmy and back every day, and you, you know you can get online <clears throat> these guys reading, obviously not recordings of of the people themselves, but you know reading out these great sermons. Um, and some of them are just so inspiring, and, and George especially, what a guy! And the Christians throughout the ages have said, "Whoa, he's he's the man," and wanted to be like George Whitfield. And it's kind of a thing of pride just to mention his name. You know, I know some history about this. Maybe you want to read up and be as clever as me. It's just incredible, this wicked heart, how it works. But anyway, so I just wanted to be like George, and then I preached a sermon, and it was so un-George-like, you know. It was just ridiculous. And I was just so intensely confused. And, um, you know, I took it to the Lord, and he says, you're you, and he's him. Uh, you know, remember I shared about the potter, the potter, and he said, you know, haven't I got the right to make out of this clay whatever I want? So you just go and be what I'm building, and uh, and just... Praise the Lord for George and uh, praise the Lord for me. So I'm just a local boy uh, that, you know, has a full-time job. And so I do uh, John 11, Jesus wept, and I do Psalm 131. And the Lord blesses it as as he requires. So when I identify as a musician, you know, when maybe we have a good morning and, and, and I start to think I'm better than every musician in the world. And, and when I'm unresponsive to the shepherd's staff, you know, because I can, looking back, I can think, oh, yeah, he guided me to that scripture and that thing. And I knew in the back of my head that I should be doing this, but I needed the rod, you know, and, and so I praise him for his discipline. You know how I'm, have I written that down? No, but, you know, in Hebrews, he says, I discipline the ones I love. If I don't discipline you, then it's a sign that I don't even love you. For by the grace, uh, Romans 12:3. for by the grace given me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I want to avoid the, the next step in that parade after the staff and avoid the rod by humbling myself. Just a, just a thought about this too, about I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I mean, think about who wrote this. The king of Israel, the top guy, the big cheese, the head honcho, the numero uno. He, the guy with all the responsibility and all the power is the guy who said, I don't concern myself with things too wonderful or lofty for me, I think King James says. What a guy. That's why he's described as one of the reasons, as a man with, after God's own heart. Uh, he doesn't concern himself with things too lofty for him, and he knows his place. We know from David's life that he forgot his place from time to time, but he's found this place, and that's why I chose that song this morning, Near to the Heart of God. Uh, where sin could not molest and where all those other things couldn't bug him. Uh, so just incredible that it was written by a king. Verse 2 says, But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. A weaned child obviously not wanting to feed off mum anymore, just happy to just be with mum and, and not demanding anymore. Just that wonderful sense of peace and not wanting. No, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I've got everything that I need. I'll just be with mum. I'll just enjoy mum. I'll just sit on her lap and, and love her. I've stilled and quieted my soul. The soul is, is like the intellect and the emotions, you know, our feelings. And it's an important part of us, and um, God made it. You know, it's not something to be shunned like the body. You know, who the, there was that weird cult that some of the epistles try to address about, you know, the body doesn't matter, so I can do what I like with it, which generally means an excuse for sin. But those things, these things are a part of us. 
but our soul demands constant stimulation, you know, and, and it seems to be Satan's plan to uh, exploit that part of us as well. You know, you can, everywhere you go, there's music. You can put it in your ears and you can, you can get waterproof things that go in the shower and listen to music, you know. Uh, you can watch the TV anywhere on your little device. You can just have constant stimulation. Some folks are addicted to, to learning, you know, just um, go to school and college after college and, and just do all this sort of stuff. Great stuff, but, you know, uh, obviously there's, there's room for balance. Food is great stuff, but sooner or later you've got to stop and, uh, and focus on your spirit because we've been born again. Um, accomplishment. Yeah, our souls really crave a bit of accomplishment and, and the sense of, of being worthy, feeling worthy. Even our soul, uh, even our worship can be very soulish, and we try quite hard to select songs... As I said, we worship with all, our, all of our being, you know, our soul and our body. But there's a balance. We're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. And sometimes that includes our bodies. And, you know, we put our hands in the air or we close our eyes and just focus on God, whatever. Uh, we kneel. There's all sorts of things described in Scripture for our bodies to do. But sometimes uh, the music, especially, I won't mention any sources, but there are sources of music, very popular music, that is almost entirely soulish, and they throw in a few spiritual-sounding words, you know, uh, things that are made to prompt our emotions and, um, and basically just hype. And we try and avoid those things very much. Um, not entirely because as, you know, we want to worship with our whole being, but uh, when you consider some old hymn, you know, trust and obey for there's no other way, you know, I mean, I'm not really going to get that CD. I don't care who makes a version of it, you know, and yet it's so intensely packed with truth and, and teaching and encouraging stuff that we need to hear every day. Uh, and yet there's other things, you know, some crazy ones that we avoided a few years ago. I forgot how it goes, but the words were just hideous and it was something about the Holy Spirit doing what we tell him. I can't remember. But um, yeah, we try and avoid that stuff. So even our, our worship can get soulish. Because the Lord blesses us so much, uh, we often come to church and we're disappointed because we didn't get that blessing we had last week um, and we missed the point entirely uh, that worship uh, can be... Uh, who's that guy? J Jacob uh, leaned on his staff and worshipped. Uh, somebody else, uh, Gideon or David, went into the enemy camp and the people sleeping all around him and he's standing there and he worshipped God as he was standing in the middle of the end. You know, probably wasn't too loud and he probably kept his hands down. But he worshipped God. So the thing is, just acknowledging him in our hearts is what he wants. Even reading the Bible can be soulish. Uh, I, I know a guy just spoke to him recently. Boy, he knew a lot of Bible. He also knew a lot of Quran and a lot of whole other um, stuff as well. But boy, he knew his Bible. But it was soulish. He wasn't learning it to learn about the Lord, the living word. Uh, he just did it to learn information, to be a clever fellow. And he certainly was. Uh, but it was a form of godliness having no power because he hadn't submitted to it to what it taught him. Uh, knowledge puffs up, First Corinthians says. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So it's still soulish. Um, one thing I've also learned meditating on this, I've still inquired in my soul, is that it doesn't mean you have to sit still like a child on its mother's knee. Um, because I find that when I rest in the Lord, it becomes just resting. <laughs> and then I wake up and have to go to work or wake up and, and have to keep studying. you know. Uh, and so... I love to walk when I pray. I find that's the closest to the Lord. I love going down the river, or, or if I come in here, I pace all around the place. Uh, I know some some of you ladies like to knit, you know, while you're listening to teaching or while you're praying. You know, monks built monasteries so they could go and basket weave and meditate on God. Yeah. So, uh, so being still 
in your soul doesn't necessarily mean being still in your body, although I, a lot of you, I guess, can achieve that. Don't get away with that page. Uh, I've still inquired my soul. Uh, the um, the quality time myth. I think the whole quality time thing uh, got invented by parents who knew they were going to neglect their children but had a terrible um, uh, conscience about it. And so they invented this thing called quality time, which means when they get home from the office and, and eat and put the child to bed, um, they have five minutes with them of quality time uh, before they fall asleep um, or take them to the park to have half an hour a week of quality time. The trouble with that <clears throat> is that uh, quality time, those moments of, of communication and teachability and, and when our hearts really bond, quality time takes a lot of quantity time. You know, it's a long time before you can find that. And the windows, you never know when they're going to happen. You can't schedule that kind of stuff. Uh, Ross and I used to go away. Ross and I used to go away uh, at least two nights a year when the kids were little, um, just to get away. We'd go to another city and explore somewhere, and and just be together without somebody tugging. You know, I remember our first the first time we ever got to go out. I think it was Mike and Marie babysat. They were the first sort of people we knew, and and um, and Jesse went and stayed with them. And we had no money, and we didn't know where to go, so we just went to the supermarket and just walked around by ourselves. You know, we just, should we get there? Yeah, maybe not. And, you know, and there was nobody. It was just so cool. It was worth it. But anyway, we'd go away for, for 48 hours just by ourselves. And it was in that 48 hours, maybe not the first few hours, but somewhere along the line, uh, we would have a connection, and we would talk, and, and we would, you know, refresh things, and it was really great. Church camps, we, we haven't done one of them for years and years and years. But, you know, uh, we see each other, some of us, only for an hour, maybe a week or two hours, whatever we do in here. Um, well, how long do we spend there? Half an hour, perhaps, where we can actually communicate. And that's all pretty fake because we're all putting on our best show. You know, we put on some clean clothes and, and we come and talk some Christian stuff. So who really knows what you people are like and what you do in your houses? You know, you could be terrible people. I've been to some of your houses and it was great. And, and we need to do that more often. You know, it's really dropped off the old um, uh, uh, hospitality thing. We really need to revive it, don't we? But anyway, church camps were a great opportunity to sit down and, and get past the All Blacks and the children and work, you know, and get down to some things that really mean something. And so maybe um, somebody should volunteer to arrange one of those. Uh, so, yeah, quality time. And so what we're talking about is with the Lord. To still your soul uh, doesn't just mean, you know, you can turn the tally off for half an hour tonight and expect to get some quality time and achieve this. Um, when I say achieve this too, it's talking about two different things. It's talking both about an experience that, that uh, you know we really love. It's pretty rare, but I've had those moments where usually after I've been told off and, and I've enjoyed the ministry of the rod for a while and then you know, you're know you still with your father and, and you're humble. But it's also our entire life, isn't it, uh, that we do because... Uh, talking today, uh, just a little bit of faith. Oh, uh, Helen, you know, um, because that's active in her. And so she, that was all it takes, you know, mustard seed, that's fine. And so that was what her response was to call on God. Um, so it's also just a way of life, that little bit of stuff. Anyway, uh, so we need to disconnect from, from everything and, and put a bit of time aside for God. The times we live in, 
you know, not just the entertainment and everything, but the times we live in just scream at our souls. You know, there's fear and there's suspicion and there's doubt and there's all sorts of things going on uh, that just scream at our souls and demand our attention. Murray, uh, uh, our old pastor, um, mentioned a few times about the black dog and the white dog, you know, or the good angel and the bad angel and, and the voices that go on in our heads. Uh, there's the one that's that's not God and there's the one that is God. And, of course, which, which one is going to win? It's the one that you feed. And so starve the black dog. Starve that one that's trying to make you fearful and suspicious and, and you know, to try and, uh, uh, what is that? Try and fight things in the flesh. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. And so finding those still times with God and seeking him for his guidance uh, far outweighs any efforts we can do outside of God. So starve that black dog. Martha uh, famously was concerned with the needs of life. You know, I mean, she was making dinner and looking after the Son of God and his, and his disciples. That's pretty high calling. That's pretty amazing. And she was doing a really great thing, a good work, that I'm sure there'll be treasure in heaven. But she complained that Mary was just sitting around listening to Jesus. You know, imagine saying it like that. All she's doing is listening to you, Jesus. You know, if, if she could have heard herself, it'd be like, duh. And of course, the Lord corrected her. She's chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. And so we can worry about uh, stuff that's going on there, out there all we like, uh, but the better part is to sit at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he's saying. And that's been so encouraging, as Mike mentioned a week or two ago, uh, to hear so many of you uh, are doing just that. <clears throat> so like a weaned child, the blessedness of not wanting anything, of not asking to be like George Whitfield or, or of having things or, or respect or admiration or whatever it is that you crave and is your weakness, uh, just not wanting anything, just being grateful for um, for the hope that we have in Christ. Being dead to the world, not um, not the kind of a teenager on a Saturday morning, <laughs> but the dead to the world as in, I've died to the world. Oh, somebody read that this morning. I've died to the world and Christ, I'm crucified with Christ and the world is dead to me and, and I am to it. That's the sort of place that we need to find. Two ways to, to get to this place, and they both they both involve discipline. One is God's discipline, as I've mentioned. Oh, I did write it down. Hebrews 12, 10. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Sharing in his holiness, that's a big deal to, to say, to have the righteousness of God in Christ. How do we get that? He disciplines us for our good. A little bit of pain. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So that's one way to get there. As I said, I've often, not often, I can remember occasions where I've enjoyed that peace with God uh, and it's been after a little bit of, of a smack bottom. But there's also self-discipline. It is attainable. In fact, we're commanded to pursue it. Be still and know that I'm God. He doesn't say, you know, um, do this and I will lead you. It's not, a, it's not a gift or anything. It's somewhere for us to pursue and find on our own. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. Uh, this verse here that we're looking at now, verse 2, says, I have stilled my soul. I did it. I pursued God. I put some time aside and, uh, and sought him. And not some time aside as in a, a weekend, uh, some time in my life. You know, Jesus often went away to solitary places and pursued God. It's those that wait on the Lord who rise up on wings as eagles, uh, not the folks who don't. 
So if you crave and covet the blessing of God and rising up on wings of eagles, then there's a bit of mahi before you get the treats. Wanting is not forbidden. Uh, I need to make that clear. Make your requests known to God. Um, uh, be eager to prophesy. Eagerly desire the greatest gifts. So, you know, I wanted to be like George Whitfield uh, and get some of that kind of respect. So that was the wrong motive. But he does say eagerly desire these gifts. Um, why, he says, later in Corinthians, he says, to edify the church for the building up of, of your brothers and sisters, not for your own glory. So by all means, you know, pursue those things. Ask for things in my name. How many times did he say that? Where two or three of you are gathered uh, and you ask anything in my name, I will give it. Um, ask everything in my name. Before now, you haven't asked anything, but from now on, ask, uh, and the Father will give it to you when you ask in my name. Uh, these things are all for accomplishing his will, and they're good and uh, good and eternal things that will be treasure. But David found the blessedness of giving up ambition. Imagine being the king of Israel and giving up all your ambition and finding that place where success and things didn't matter to you. Um, that's absolutely amazing. And so if David, probably a busy guy, he probably had a few things to do, right? Um, running a country, people were trying to kill him. You read the Psalms and, you know, my enemies are trying to kill me and they're pursuing me. And he had some things on his mind. Uh, and so if he could find this place, if he could put aside time like that, who among us can say, oh, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for the Lord. I've got this and that thing going on. Verse 3, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Another verse that's featured a few times in, in my studies, and I've heard it mentioned here a few times, Luke 13, 34, when the Lord said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Just the loving call of their Messiah saying, come on, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, is a mirror of our souls. He loves us as much as he loves Jerusalem, and yet he's put a special focus on them uh, to teach the whole world things. And one day when all of Jerusalem is saved, as they will be, uh, they're going to be a great source of, of blessing to us, as Romans says, if their um, uh, separation is, is a blessing to us, how much more will their reconciliation be? So anyway, uh, we rightly pray for our stiff-necked, wandering, unfaithful, but dearly loved and sought-after brothers and sisters, because we are stiff-necked and wandering and rebellious and desperately wicked, and yet desperately, uh, dearly loved and sought-after by the Lord. We, we rightly pray most weeks for Israel. It's on a little list here. Pray for Israel. Um, and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And the peace of Jerusalem is not just Hamas stopping rockets and, and people stopping going under tunnels and stabbing people randomly. It's not just that. It's peace with God. Make your peace with God. And there's only one way for that, and that's through their Messiah. And so that's why it's put in with this little psalm. Uh, get rid of your pride. Get rid of all the, the things you do. I mean, what an incredible country. God has blessed them so much. They are so clever. Uh, their technology and their agriculture and and, they just, they, and the incredible victories that they have when they've got all these incredible countries around them, enormous, wealthy, oil-rich countries uh, trying to smash them, and, and they can't do it. It must be so frustrating. <laughs> oh, I love it. Praise the Lord. Uh, if only the world could take off their blinders and see that, you know, what an incredible thing is going on right now uh, over in that place. But anyway, he says, uh, you guys are really clever, but that's not going to get you to heaven. You need Messiah. Uh, so we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they will recognize Messiah. 
and put aside their pride. Uh, and there's incredible pride, of course. You can imagine maybe, a, a, especially a um, Orthodox Jewish person, what would it take for one of those guys to say, oh, yeah, these Christians, Jesus is Messiah. That would be incredible, you know. Uh, and yet we pray for that, that they will be able to put aside their pride and that Jerusalem will find that peace that um, that the Lord not only um, has invited them for, but he sought after them. He came and got them. He came and got us. He doesn't just say, I love you, so you can come. He came and got us. Um, Mike's freshening up the, the cross you see out there and painted it black, which is probably an appropriate color for such a, a dreadful thing. Um, he came and endured that so that we could, not so that we could be with him, so that we would be with him, to, and he pursued us a little, little bit. So that I'll just about do with that. And so, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful psalm. Thank you for the promise of this place. Thank you that by your blood we have the audacity to come before you and say, Lord, my heart is not proud. I receive your gift. I confess, Lord, freely that uh, in me dwells no good thing, but because you are in me, uh, and I've found that low place. You've seated me in heavenly places with Christ. Lord, I, my mind can't conceive that, and uh, I thank you so much. I pray for your grace to be upon us all, Lord, that we would know that place of humility and, uh, and never um, fall from grace and try and uh, pursue you by anything that we can do. Lord, please draw us by your Spirit so that we will pursue you until we find that place where we stop trying to be a Christian and simply find Christ and let him do it for us. Lord, I pray that you'll give us a greater understanding of your gospel and of grace and we will live it better every day. Amen. Let's sing.